Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Lattermilk, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. Today we're talking about contraception, specifically immunocontraception. But don't turn off the podcast just yet, because we're kicking off by talking about out-of-control rabbits. Yeah. So let me lead you into this. I actually hadn't heard of immunocontraception until an article by our very own intern, Marianne English, um, on five invasive species you should know was just written. It's not up yet, so don't go look for it, but it is going to be up and it is going to be good. Thank you, Marianne. Better be good. So one of the ones that made Marianne's list was none other than the rabbit, famed for its ability to, of course, reproduce like mad. So they're known for. So small wonder that they're invasive, and especially in Australia. Thanks to one Thomas Austin, who purposefully introduced the European rabbit to his estate in Geelong, Australia, back in the 1850s. What old Thomas didn't know was that handful of rabbits that he purposefully introduced were going to escape their enclosures and multiply to 10 billion by 1926. Wow, that is a lot of rabbits just out of control, rampaging across the countryside. Yeah, so in the article that Marianne wrote, she said that the furry invasion also inspired the commonly coined phrase, breeding like rabbits. Oh, let's see, I, you know. I, I did not know that. I knew that it inspired a 1964 novel by the name of uh, The Year of the Angry Rabbit. Uh, this is written by a guy named Russell Braden. And uh, it's uh, it basically had to do with like giant, giant rabbits rampaging across Australia, tearing up the country. And then somehow Australia ends up being the global superpower. It was kind of tongue Somehow. In- yeah. I, I have not read it, but it's uh, supposedly really tongue in cheek. And it actually inspired a movie that more people are probably familiar with called A Night of the Lepus. And, and it, you, of course, have seen it because you've uh, seen every film under the sun. Well, no, I think it used to come on TBS a lot or something. But, um, but yeah, it's just like, I think it takes place in Arizona instead of Australia. And it's just bunny rabbits, uh, running all over like a toy town and people running in fear and all. It's, it's, it's horrible. I highly recommend seeing it. I always think of Donnie Darko and that crazy rabbit. Yeah, but that was just a guy in a, from the future in a rabbit suit. That's time travel. That's a different podcast altogether. That was a pretty creepy rabbit, though. You have to admit. It was. It was. So Australia knows creepy rabbits. And Australia actually has been hit really bad when it comes to invasives. Yeah, they have that, uh, they have like a mouse problem on a regular basis. The hordes of mice teeming, uh, across the fields, eating everything in their path, rampaging into barns. Yeah, they've lost a ton of mammal species, um, in large part due to invasives. Mm. So, of course, Australians have tried all sorts of things to control these rabbits. They've erected fences that are thousands of miles long. They've used poison. Um, oh, what was the, you were telling me something about the, the fences and climate. Right, right, right. So, um, the fence, on one side of the fence, according to this New York Times article, um, the bunnies have eaten all the vegetation. It's parched. It's, you know, it's a, it's a desolate town. It's parched. It's, it's no good. And there are no clouds. There's no cloud cover above this particular side of the fence. But on the side of the fence where there are no bunnies, it's nice and lush and there is cloud cover. Huh. So the bunnies are affecting climate wow. change. Just to show just how out of control it is. It's actually affecting the weather. So Australians have tried this fence business. Um, clearly that hasn't been entirely successful. They've, they've employed poison. They've also hunted them. And they, uh, introduced a seriously infectious viral disease by the name of myxomatosis as a biological control agent back in the 1950s to control the 
huge rabbit population. And the thing about the disease was that it was host select, so it was only going to infect one type of animal, and that being the European rabbit. And their efforts were successful initially. They mm-hmm. wiped out about 80 to 95% of the bunny population in Australia only six months after release. So that's some pretty good results. Right. But inevitably, you're going to have some, uh, um, some of the rabbits are going to be immune and they're going to survive right. and then they're going to breed. Right. And then what the, you, know, you get what they ended up having happen. And that's just now you have a new population, um, um, that's out of control and all the rabbits are immune to myxomatosis. Right. Plus you have a couple of new strains of the virus developing too. Uh, and maybe a Radiohead song, yeah, the same off, name off of the uh, the album "Hail to the Thief," the uh, the second best uh, Radiohead album, in my opinion. So the Australians aren't giving up on uh, controlling their rabbit population. Their latest effort involves immunocontraception, which is basically birth control for rabbits. Birth control with a twist, in that you can kind of think about immunocontraception as an internal battle between an organism's reproductive system and its immune system. Okay, and then, and this is what stirs up the battle between the two. So the animal's immune system is going to manufacture antibodies that may then target sperm, eggs, or reproductive hormones, thereby preventing fertilization or the generation of sperm or ova. So an immunocontraceptive could be delivered to a wild animal via a deliberately introduced virus, or it could be given in the form of a vaccine. And the vaccine might be via DART. Yeah, they're really, um, they're really strong on the whole, uh, using like a dart or a dart gun kind of a situation. Um, it could be injected, you know, manually as well, but ideally, especially with wild animals, you know, the farther away you are, the better. Right. You're going to want to minimize contact. Yeah. So I feel like we should give just a backup on how a regular birth control pill works. Yeah. Just- Re- regular birth control. For humans, not administered by dart gun at all. <laughs> good point, Robert. Good point. So a human birth control pill relies on hormones generally to prevent ovulation or the release of eggs. Even if eggs are released, they may have a hard time rolling down the old fallopian tube and sticking to the wall of the uterus. The pill also makes it harder for sperm to slip past the gate, that being the cervix, and into the uterus for fertilization. So it's a little bit of a different game for a contraceptive versus an immunocontraceptive. And... Uh- it's, it's really interesting that the, uh, a number of, uh, animal welfare, welfare groups are really into this. Um, namely, the Humane Society of, of the United, United States. States. Yeah. Um, they've been pushing to, pushing to use it, uh, for deer population in, in the United States because we have quite a deer problem in many areas. Um, what's the area up in New York? Uh, Fire Island. Have okay. you been there? I'm not sure you've traveled. I have, I've not been to Fire Island, no. So Fire Island, uh, for those of you guys who have seen Jersey Shore, <laughs> it's one of those places where people like to go, the Hamptons or the Jersey Shore or Fire Island for the weekend. So you get a bunch of New Yorkers rolling out of Manhattan and taking over the island and partying and going to the beach and generally... Punching women in the face, right? It's just, is that what they do on Jersey Shore? That's the only thing I know about Jersey Shore I've is not that seen women it. are punched in the face. But. I am kind of curious, but I've not seen it. Um So the other thing about Fire Island, apart from all these New Yorkers, is that they have a crazy deer population. Uh, so much so that when you step off the boat to get to Fire Island, you, you just walk across the backs of deer, right? It's just <laughs> <laughs> right. And certain New Yorkers, you know, ride deer to get to the parties. No, I'm just, just kidding. Interesting fact: you can't ride a reindeer. You know, their backs are too weak. That's why I took them up to a sleigh. <laughs> so the Humane Society has experimented with immunocontraceptives on the Fire Island deer population. Yeah, and they've uh, they've also. Uh, uh, tried it out in South Africa with uh, some uh, African elephant preserves there, uh, which kind of surprised me at first because I'm like, you know, 
African elephants. We, we're trying to protect those guys. But that's the thing. You start protecting a species, uh, you know, giving it free reign within a, you know, preserved area. And the next thing you know, they're breeding like wildfire. And you're having to, or elephants. Yeah, or breeding, breeding like elephants, and you have to uh, step in and keep them from eating up all the resources. Yeah, they've also tried it on the wild horses of Assateague. Oh, see, that one's a, that's another one that when I first read that, I'm like, oh, the wild horses. You of know, Assateague. Don't, don't take the wild horses away. But, <laughs> but obviously, if you want to keep wild horses, you need them to not uh, go to get out of control and starve themselves. The Humane Society is also working on immunocontraceptives and sterilization agents for uh, dogs and cats as well. That's awesome because I, I do hate to see, uh, I think like most people hate to see stray dogs and cats. Right. I think that this would be yeah. pretty useful in, in that sense and also, you know, for the feral cats. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of those, um, I mean, whether you like animals or uh, or hate them, you know, it's like this is an idea you can get behind. Probably less um, expensive as well than, you know, bringing in a cat to be spayed or neutered. Yeah, just hit it with a dart gun from down the street. You're good to go. PETA seems to be behind immunocontraceptives, too. I read at least one letter in which a PETA wildlife biologist recommended an immunocontraceptive program as a means for controlling a deer population. And this particular population, I think, was in a Texan town. So, yeah, that shows you how um, humane it is, because... PETA generally they don't get behind anything unless it's pretty uh, pretty humane, ridiculously humane even. So let's talk about how these immunocontraceptives work. I could find two that are out there. So the first one that I located was called the Spavac vaccine, and this is still experimental. And this is the one made from pigs, right? Well, a lot of them are. Um, a lot of them rely on porcine zona pellucida antigens, and these are just proteins derived and extracted from pig ovaries. The Spavac vaccine has porcine zona pellucida antigens, or PZP antigens, and these are the common ones in immunocontraceptives. And the PZP antigens are just proteins that are extracted and uh, purified from pig ovaries. An antigen, you remember, is just a foreign body that will get your immune system all riled up, and then it can bind with whatever your immune system throws at it, usually like an antibody or a T-cell. Mm-hmm. So Spavac causes female mammals to produce antibodies that adhere to the surface of her own egg, and it blocks sperm from binding to the egg, so preventing fertilization. Spavac has been tried on seals and rabbits, sheep, horses, grizzly bears, and wolves. Oh. Just to give you an idea of its longevity, it worked for 10 years on a, a population of gray seals with a single with a single dose. Oh, wow. So you can just completely shut down reproduction for an entire decade of species. It's pretty incredible. So this is still experimental. Um, I did find another one called Gonacon, not to be confused with Dragoncon or Comicon. Uh-huh. Or- there's, a, there's a great joke about nerds breeding there somewhere, but I'll leave <laughs> that to the listeners to come up with. So Gonacon was just granted regulatory approval by the EPA in February 2010. And this is also a single-shot, multi-year vaccine, and it stimulates the manufacture of antibodies that bind to gonadotropin-releasing hormone in animals, and it basically puts a deer in a non-reproductive state. This is also the one um, that they make a point of uh, of mentioning, that if you eat one of these deer, it's not going to uh, have an effect on your own reproduction system. Yeah, so the idea is that the proteins are digested as opposed to a hormone-based contraceptive that you might ingest. Good to know. So I feel like I should give you some idea of how effective this particular Gonacon 
contraceptive is. One study that I found numbers for um, had 28 deer, and it was found to be 88% effective uh, among in the first year and 47% effective in the second year. I found another study that was kind of roughly correlated with that, and it was July 2005. Again, maybe a handful of deer, like under 50 or something like that, relatively small. 67% effective um, the first year and 48% effective the second year. So while they're saying that it can last for years, I'm not so sure that it's effective for that whole time period. Right. It's some uh, de- depends on the individual uh, animal, I'm guessing. The other interesting thing is, I mean, you're basically putting an animal in a non-reproductive state for an extended period of time. I mean, decades, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to wonder, does this have significant implications for on the animal's behavior? But maybe this isn't so different from a woman being on birth control for an extended period of time. Yeah, didn't you say that uh, there's a study that like you have women on birth control, like they're they're less enamored with like husky men, isn't that? Uh... Yeah, there was actually a big study that came out in 2009 in the journal uh, Trends in Ecology and Evolution, and the authors were contending that birth control pills were altering mate selection. So women who are on the pill, um, the authors said. Might mate with, yeah, the less preferred partners. Cool. That's how I managed to get married. So, <laughs> you know, yay pill. Uh, so the, the, the flip side of that is that women who are ovulating tend to be attracted to so-called manly men. Those were the, those with the more masculine facial features, the traits of dominance and competitiveness. And, uh, women also tend to prefer the man who's not like them, genetically speaking. So there are a number of arguments against, uh, this that are out there, according to reproductive expert Des Cooper from the University of uh, New South Wales. What is that? What does Cooper have to say? Yeah, so it goes back to our earlier discussion about the rabbits. Um, not all the rabbits were um, um, were susceptible to the virus, and then the ones that survived ended up breeding, and then you had a new population uh, of rabbits that was immune. So not every um, organism is going to uh, is going to be susceptible to um, these different uh, immunocontraceptions. All right, so. Um, well, that also means that individuals who wind up surviving and reproducing may be what uh, Professor Cooper calls genetically unusual individuals, right? So if they're in the genetic minority and they become in the majority, I mean, should they? Should they assume that position? What what kind of impact does that have on the yeah, genetic pool? It could be a superorganism or it could be um, like a very, you know, disease-prone organism, uh, organism. And either extreme is going to be an unbalancing effect on the ecosystem. The other very real downside of immunocontraception is that it could be slow. You're going to have to wait for natural causes to run their course among a particular animal population, which is why wildlife agencies a lot of the time are probably going to employ another strategy in addition to immunocontraception. So like shoot it with a dart, wait a little bit once it gets up, then you shoot it with a rifle. Possibly. I'm just saying. Call the herd in more than one way. It could be expensive, too. There's a lot of field work involved. You, mm-hmm. you have to hit enough of the population to make a difference, um, and I think this might be about 80%. Mm-hmm. And lastly, your animal could suffer side effects. Although I didn't find a clear explanation of what these might be in my research, other than you know just the usual puffiness at the injection site. I guess they might die, but I mean you're trying to cut down their number anyway, right? That's true. Yeah. That's true. So the big question for me was, what about immunocontraception for, say, <clears throat> human males? Yeah, I think there's a, I mean, it sounds like there's a huge possibility there. Obviously, you know, you'd have to go through trials and experiments and uh, legislation. I mean, it, 
you have to go through so many hoops to to get it to you know to finally uh, be on the market. But uh, I think it would be a good option. Yeah, there's a 2004 study by Rand et al. that was published in Science, and it studied reversible immunocontraception in monkeys. It was a pretty small study. It was just seven out of nine monkeys who became infertile after receiving a dose of epin. And this is a protein specific to the uh, testes and epididymis. After the monkeys stopped receiving the epin, five out of the seven became fertile again. Right, so two, you know, stayed infertile. Mm Mm-hmm. So that should promise. Um, yeah. and, but if we were to adapt that for, for humans, of course, it would have to go through years and years of clinical trials and take up a whole lot of cash to get there. I still hope it's a, they administer it by dart gun because I think that's the way that you could really make it be like the manly option, <laughs> you know, because they're not taking pills and little, you know, round containers. It's like they're having to shoot themselves in the foot with a dart gun. Well, better yet, let your partner take out a little aggression and, you yeah. know. Shoot it's good your for everybody. Everybody benefits. Daily basis. <laughs> so I think that about wraps it up for immunocontraception this week. If you want to find out a little bit more about regular old contraception, head on over to HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, we got a few minutes. You want to do some uh, listener mail? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'd love to. We had a couple of people write in on our um, Weapons That Change the World podcast, and you guys feel strongly about your weapons. Yeah, we got a lot of responses. Some of some of them were pretty awesome. And by a lot, we mean like five. <laughs> well, that's a that's a lot. Um, that's a lot for us. But a lot. They listed a lot of weapons. Um, you know, everything like the club got mentioned. Um, right, right. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Joey thinks that we definitely, definitely should have mentioned boats and clubs and swords and bows and arrows. Although he thanks us and he says, "Keep up the good work." Awesome. We're always always open for you know suggestions. Blaine from California also writes that uh, he thought the the episode was titled a little bit misleadingly. Yeah, yeah, the title was a little misleading because uh, we really dealt more with weaponized technologies uh, as opposed to specific weapons. Um, and, and certainly things like the longbow have had a huge impact on the uh, evolution of warfare. Yeah, Blaine would have liked to see machine gun on, the, on our list. But we'll have to come back to these. We could uh, easily do an entire podcast on... Uh, on, on how the machine gun changed warfare, or the law of the longbow. I'm a big fan of the longbow. Yeah, Tim from Dallas was a big fan of the longbow as well. He he wrote that the longbow allowed for British military domination during medieval times, and the crossbow, invented yet again in China, did much the same there. So thanks, Tim, for that. Yeah. So thanks, everyone, for writing in with your comments and feedback on the uh, Military Technologies podcast. We do appreciate it. If you want to send us more suggestions or just a comment, shoot us an email at sciencestuff at howstuffworks.com. And drop by the homepage to check out the blogs. Uh, we discuss everything from space music to robots that are designed to digest food. And you can find that at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. <laughs>